In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I suspect that most of us have heard the phrase and possibly used it ourselves, famous last words. Frequently in our contemporary speech, we mean this somewhat sarcastically, as someone we know walks into a situation and they say, I think this will be easy. Yeah, right, famous last words. But in history, that was really more of a thing, last words. Last words of someone before they were to die or perhaps go on a long trip. And as such, that person's last words are typically important. Whether that's someone in our family or someone else that we've known, we hold on to those words. And historically, some words have come down to us through the generations, through literature, through art, through other means. We, of course, have Mercutio's cry out, a plague on both of your houses from Romeo and Juliet. His last words indicating his hopes or concerns even about the Capulets and the Montagues. Or in more contemporary language, we have the last words of the poet Maya Angelou, which were, listen to yourself, and in that quietude you might hear the voice of God. Words of hope and encouragement, a beautiful and moving plea that I take to mean our ability to search ourselves and find the image of God there. Leonardo da Vinci's last words were, I have offended God in mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Stunning phrase from a brilliant man that at once is both a harsh criticism of his own work and yet challenges us to consider how we in our lives might seek better to glorify God and to uplift our fellow man. These words, these last words, or sometimes a summary of our life, our feelings, our hopes and encouragements for others. And in our passages this morning, we hear Christ's last words. In John, we hear his last words in prayer before his crucifixion. And in the Acts of the Apostles, we hear his last words before he ascends to the Father. And it is on those that I wish, wish to meditate this morning. Being these last words, we can assume that they were important, and they speak towards what and how the disciples were to live and are passed down to us in much the same way of how we should live. The context of the scene is that Jesus has once again gathered with his disciples in Jerusalem. There is another feast coming, a feast of weeks on the Jewish calendar, which will once again bring pilgrims from around the world into the city of Jerusalem, much as they had done a few weeks before at Pentecost, or at uh, Passover. Of course, that time was a little different. Those were the last times that the disciples were in and around Jerusalem, those days before and after the crucifixion and resurrection. Being back in Jerusalem probably brings a mixed bag of feelings for them, Significant, hopeful, and yet anxious. And Jesus tells them that they should wait there. 
and wait for the gift that has been promised, the gift of the Holy Ghost. The helper that he had promised would come, that John the Baptist himself, early on before Christ's ministry even began, said was coming. That while John baptized with water, the one coming after him would baptize with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Jesus has multiple times spoken to his disciples about this helper that would come only after he had left them. He has called the Holy Ghost the source of living water springing up to eternal life, the comforter, the spirit of truth, and that person of the Trinity which reproves the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The disciples needed to receive this divine helper, and so do we. In his last words, these important words, Jesus indicates that we not only need to try to live the the Christian life not in our own strength, but that we need the Holy Ghost. But for what? The disciples' response to this command of Jesus is fascinating. They don't ask for any more clarity about timing of when the Spirit would come. They don't ask for timing about why they needed it. Instead, they prompt Jesus with the age-old question, Is now the time that you're going to set up the kingdom? They were interested in the end game. When is this finally going to be over, God? When are you going to come and make all things right? Aren't we the same? How many times do we plead with God to intervene in our lives and to fix what is broken and to make all things right? We want Jesus to come back on the cloud he ascended from and to fix it. We're not interested in the time between now and then. Indeed, Paul says that it's not only us who have this longing, all of creation longs to be freed from the bondage of corruption. Everything from a stegosaurus to the rocks and trees in the ground, all of earth in history longs for creation to be made new. It's what our hearts crave. And yet Jesus has to correct them once again and point them to the current reality. He doesn't betray their question. He doesn't say it's a bad question. He knows that that is the end of all things, that it will all be made new. But there is a time in between which is crucial. So he redirects us once again to the already existing spiritual kingdom. That spiritual world in which the whole world needs to know who God is and who Jesus is. As we heard in his high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus has said that eternal life is knowledge of God and of Jesus. And the rest of the world, not just Israel, needs that truth. These very last words of Jesus that he speaks before he ascends to the right hand of the Father are the crucial foundation of the church and what it means to be a disciple. They are one last reminder that the gift of the Holy Spirit is coming and for us has now come. Disciples are to be witnesses of God to the ends of the earth. A witness is not merely someone who has observed an event taking place. Rather, this term in Scripture is most often used in its legal sense. 
of not having just observed, but of one who gives a testimony to what they have seen and experienced. In the book of Acts especially, the word witness is almost always in reference to giving testimony about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Acts 10, beginning in verse 38, gives us a fantastic example of this. Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That is the gospel. Belief in Jesus brings us forgiveness of sins, eternal life, peace with God. And once we believe in Christ and his resurrection, all other doctrines can follow later. But without the resurrection, there is no Christian faith. The disciples are instructed to testify to God, starting where they were in Jerusalem and reaching to the ends of the earth. The gospel has certainly spread across the world, and you and I, being here quite a distance away from Jerusalem, can testify to that. We are witnesses to that fact, to the passed-down message of the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and coming again of Jesus Christ. But the mission is certainly not complete. According to the Joshua Project, there are still an estimated 5,000 people groups that have fewer than one-tenth of one percent of people in them that are Christian. Nearly two billion people in those people groups that have not been exposed to the gospel much, if at all. Through our baptism, we share in the gifting of the Holy Spirit, and we share in this call to bear witness to Christ to the world. While we may not have easy access to these unreached people groups, there are people on your street, at your job, in your family, across our city, and all around the world who know nothing of Jesus, of the hope of forgiveness, of the hope of eternal life, and of things truly being made right once and for all. We are called to declare the work of the risen Christ in our own lives through thought, word, and deed. And Jesus reminds us in John 13 that others will know that we are his followers by how we love one another. In whatever ways that God may yet prompt you, we are called to share in this mission. Perhaps through partnering with one of our mission and outreach efforts, there's an opportunity coming up the first week of June as our Vacation Bible School does a week of mission projects that we will be opening up to the whole parish to support various ministries around town to help spread the love and peace of God to the world and to our immediate community. There are no shortage of ways in which you can speak your own truth of God's testimony in your own life, how he is still yet working in and through you. You can speak that joy and of your own hope of the resurrection to others. May God grant you the grace and me the grace to do just that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.